Uh, my name is Steve Hughes. I'm one of the elders here at Green Tree, and I'm so glad to be here with you this morning, again, even virtually. And to start off today, if, if you were to ask me or my family, why, do we, why are we members of Green Tree? Uh, is it the preaching? Is it the worship? Is it, is it the people? And I'd say, yes, yes, yes to all those. But the initial catalyst of why we are attending and actually members of Green Tree actually goes back almost a dozen years. And so my, my wife and I were living, Marianne and I were living in Glendale, and we were looking for a new church home. And our plan was to go out and just to visit a church for, say, three or four weeks at a time, and then go to another church for three or four plus weeks, and then kind of bounce around, and then, and then revisit the ones we, we enjoyed. And one of the first places we looked was this place called Green Tree that met in a, a middle school, which was new for us. In fact, the worship was in the Bulldog Cafetorium. Uh, it's not exactly Notre Dame, but uh, it's, it's a lovely, lovely place to, to worship. But, but what really blew us out of the water, besides the things that we already mentioned or that I talked about that we enjoy about Green Tree, was our girls were at the time in third and fourth grade. And so we, we sent them to, to third and fourth grade. It was a combined class for whatever reason. And two of the teachers were Monica and Michael Miller. And they're just wonderful people. They've been teaching for years. And um, they just were so welcoming and friendly to our girls. We loved it. It was very nice. And then after going to Green Tree for three or four weeks, we then went elsewhere for a number of weeks. And then we said, you know, we really like Green Tree. So we headed back and, and thought we'll get some more of what we've seen. But, but what happened next, the first time we visited after our break, really blew us out of the water. So we, we come around, we, we make that left-hand turn, and we're heading to the big long hallway at NKMS. You ever been there? And all the kids' classrooms are kind of way down the way. And we were about 20 or 30 feet away from the entrance of the classroom. There was Michael and Monica kind of welcoming kids. And she turned and saw her girls and said, Caroline, Elizabeth, it's so good to see you. And she, she bent down and gave them a big hug. And I about fainted. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, here is, we're, we're standing there. I was next to my wife, Marianne. We're, 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 we're sitting there and, and, and here's our girls. They came and they visited three or four times. They're not even officially on the roster. We then go away for a period of time, which I felt was easily over a month. We come back, and the first gesture of hospitality, the way we're greeted, the way we were welcomed by that wonderful couple was them knowing our girls' names. And so I was sitting there, I was standing there, I said, okay, Marianne, how quickly can we join this church? Because we were just, we thought, if, if this is typical of how the people are here, uh, we want some more of that. So we're gonna be talking today about hospitality and specifically, as, as we talk about this series of being a good neighbor, and um, aside from, from being a real estate agent, uh, Anthony loves that line, but, um, but, but aside from just being a good neighbor, it's how do we show hospitality? How do we really reach out and, and, and love and welcome people in our lives? And this is even beyond welcoming people to your house. We're gonna talk about, there's some, some restrictions we certainly have and what we can do now with the pandemic, but there's a million things we can do to show God's love and care for people. So our, our, our scripture this morning is Romans 12, 13. Romans 12, 13. Now, if you, if you remember, the last time I preached was in, in, in April. I preached on Romans 12, 12. So we were just blazing through Romans at a breakneck pace here. So um, <laughs> verse by verse. But we're gonna look at this verse. It's very short. And actually, we're gonna look at just really the second part of the verse. So as you look up Romans 12, 13, here is, here's what Paul has to say. And by the way, this is at the end of a, of a, a long list of, of recommendations and commands and, and suggestions he has for good Christian living. You know, not, to, not works salvation, not, not to earn our way to heaven, but out of response to how good God has been to us, here are things that he commends to us to do. And so the last line there of, of these, this list is, is verse 13. Share with God's people who are in need. 
practice hospitality. Share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, gracious Lord, we we praise you for how good you are to us. You set the foundations of the world. You sustain all things. In things were made through you and in you. We thank you so much for this morning, a chance for us to to look at your word, to worship. Even if we cannot be together, Lord, uh, we're together in spirit. And we thank you again for the technology. We thank you for Javi and the worship team and all the people who've made this possible for us to be able to join you in your home or apartment, wherever you find yourself. Um, This morning, friends of Green Tree. And Lord, um, I pray right now that all of us could, for just the next few minutes, think about what you want to say to us through your word about being a neighbor, about being hospitable, about showing love for people who are on the outside. And Lord, I pray that, that it might be my words coming out, that it would be your message coming through me, that I would not get in the way in any, any way as, as, uh, as the gospel is pr- proclaimed this morning. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, as we, we're going to look at hospitality here today, and we're going we're to actually look at hospitality, those last two words, practice hospitality. We're going to look at them uh, perhaps through a new lens, because I think so often we get stuck in hospitality as just having people over for a meal, and that's a big part of it. But, but we're going to look at it from a different perspective. We're going to look at attitudes towards hospitality, the blessings of hospitality, and the cost of hospitality, and what it costs God to offer us hospitality. So our sermon in a sentence is, is very simply this. Beyond hosting a meal, which is all still very good, biblical hospitality is a response to God's grace that motivates us to love and welcome strangers, love and welcome others wherever we are. So that is what we're going to be looking into, but before we, we jump into the, the attitude that we should kind of maintain and the blessings and the cost, got to give a little context. So again, we talked about hospitality. Instantly we think of maybe the hospitality industry. You think of, again, just of uh, having people over for a meal, think of entertaining. That's all, all lovely, but I want to look at a couple of definitions here and actually think about it from, from the point of view of what it would have been like for people hearing and reading this message back in ancient times, all right? So first of all, a couple of definitions from the American Heritage Dictionary, one of my favorites. I got so many good favorite dictionaries out there. Um, defines hospitality as an instance of cordial and generous treatment of guests. Or the Century Dictionary, which I did not know was a thing, but I actually like this version of of their definition. Hospitality, according to this dictionary, is the reception and entertainment of strangers or guests without reward. Pretty cool. So in in the world of, in in the biblical world, going back a couple thousand years, There are two particularly vulnerable segments of of society or or times when people were vulnerable in which hospitality was required. It was their only saving grace was was the custom of hospitality. And those two two groups were travelers and the resident alien. Okay, so we'll go travelers first. It is so hard for us to 21st century uh, Western America here to, to, to picture a world without Marriott and Hilton and Airbnb and VRBO. And I mean, you go to any, even any small town, any large cities, there are plenty of places to stay almost any given night. You can find a room, no big deal. When you traveled back then, there was no such thing existed like that. So when you're traveling, think about, think about Joseph and Mary, when they're going trying to make their way to Bethlehem, they get, the sun goes down, you don't want to be out alone, so you, you find an encampment, you find a town, you find a, a small village, and you... You knock on the door and, hey, we're, we're from out of town. Can you house us for the night? And, and they would house you. 
But you can imagine some people were, were more amenable to that than others. But, but talk about being in a vulnerable situation. These travelers needed the kindness of other people to help welcome them and show them hospitality. And then you look at the, the, the resident alien, it was basically someone who is not from the people group, like kind of from the outside, uh, essentially called a foreigner, maybe a sojourner, a wayfarer, living there, and, and it was very tough for those folks. They, they, were, they were ostracized, uh, they couldn't own land, they couldn't participate in communal, communal activities, I mean, it was, a, it, was, it was a tough go. And so both of those, travelers and the, and the sojourner, the, the resident alien, were both labeled throughout the New Testament as, or at least referred to as strangers. So we'll look at hospitality. So we're going to actually break down what this means. So if you look at the, the verse here, if you'll flash up there, Javi, um, the verse itself is, is, we're talking about practicing hospitality. So let's look at each one of those two words because the, the words are kind of interesting. So the first word, practice, when we look at the Greek, uh, diakontes, if I'm saying it right, actually means to relentlessly pursue. Relentlessly pursue. So, so a, a way to think about this, it's a horrible image, but say you're, you go to the Kirkwood fireworks one year and, and say a young child and suddenly you get separated just for a moment. You don't just say, oh, I'm sure Billy will come back. He'll get hungry, you know, and you kind of, you know, there's a nice spot for our blanket. You know, you would, you would, you would relentlessly pursue that child until you found him or her. You, you would, that, that, that's what the, the word is getting towards. So I found it interesting that some versions, my, my NIV says practice. I think that uh, the, the ESV has show hospitality. The King James says given to hospitality. And those are all lovely. But when you drill down to the Greek, it really says relentlessly pursue hospitality. Now, what does hospitality mean? And flash that up there as well. Hospitality is from the Greek word uh, philoxenia, which is the opposite of, of being xenophobic, afraid of strangers. This is love, philo or philo, xenia, stranger, the love of strangers. So so what this virtually means, instead of the kind of the more happy and, and, and gentle, uh, you know, practice hospitality, it's relentlessly pursue the love of strangers. That's what we're being called to do. So as we think about this, we're going to explore today ways in, uh, you heard of that novel a couple years ago, it came out well, many years, uh, Love in a Time of Cholera. We could almost call this sermon today, Hospitality in a Time of COVID. Okay, so we're going to talk about the, the myriad ways you can show hospitality, love of strangers, to people when you can't even invite them into your house. Now, we still encourage you, if you can, invite people over, that's a great thing, but, but don't, don't feel like that's, if you can't do that, then I'm off the hook on hospitality. So let's jump into the, the three things, the attitude, the blessings, and the cost of hospitality. So, um, you know, when Jesus is telling the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, right before you basically, when it's asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment, or what, do you, what are you supposed to do, and Jesus says, in response, he says, we're supposed to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. And, and then Jesus actually says, yes. Um, yes, good sir, that's exactly what we're supposed to do. So that is the most important commandment. And actually, he's quoting uh, from partially from a verse from Leviticus in, in which it reads here, Leviticus 19.34. It says, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. So basically, treat the sojourner Treat the, the, the outside resident alien as if that person were native-born amongst your people. So don't treat them as outside. Treat them as if they're native-born. The next line, love him as yourself. And then for you are strangers. Why? You are strangers in the land of Egypt, and I brought you out. And he ends with, the, the, it says, I am the Lord your God. And as you remember how you were treated 
for those 400 years in, in, in the land of Egypt, I'm the one who brought you out. I did it. Remember, it was my works, and it's out of gratitude, out of grace, out of, out of thankfulness that you now treat other people the way you wish you had been treated. And so that, that's kind of our driver. So it's a, it's a posture, it's a mindset. It's not just a, an action. And doing my research, I actually loved it. It was kind of cool. There was a, in, in one of my, um, one of the sites was a, a thesaurus that had a fantastic synonym for hospitality, big-heartedness. Big-heartedness. I didn't know it was even a word, but I thought, can you imagine if Green Tree, if we were known for our big-heartedness, for us being so kind to people, for us being generous tippers, for us welcoming in folks who, who, uh, who need help, for us making people feel just, just as, they're, as if they're already a part of us, even though they might just be joining us for the first time. That would be unbelievable. And so as we said before, hospitality is not just in fact, it's not entertaining. It's not necessarily Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart's lovely. And, and there's nothing wrong if you're big into doilies and place cards and, and radish roses and that kind of stuff. Please knock yourself out. But I, I always would ask yourself that when, when you're having people over, are you, are you entertaining for yourself or are you, are you, enter, are you, are you focused on the other people? Because you realize the, the, um, the story right after the Good Samaritan is actually Mary and Martha. When, so the Good Samaritan story is there and then right after that, Luke Martha, house invites over Jesus to come in and she's running around and she's getting all the, the things ready and she's ta- you know, just doing all the, the household stuff. And then here's Mary just sitting at Jesus' feet and just listening to everything he has to say. And in fact, I love how at least in the NIV it mentions, it says this, it says, Martha was distracted by the preparations. Now you say distracted from what or better yet, distracted from whom? In fact, and Jesus even kind of reprimands her. He says, you know, you're running around, you're so worried, and you're freaking out, and you're so uptight. I want you to focus on, on, focus on your guests, focus on, on, on the greater thing. And so, so it really hospitality, as we kind of boil it down, it, it's, it's Martha showing off, and it's Mary, Mary showing up. So when you welcome people, whether into your house or in any kind of group or gathering, are you, are you, are you showing off or are you showing up? And I hope our motivation would be for, for us to, to, to want to love and welcome those strangers as best we can. And I, I think about this, uh, my oldest daughter, Caroline, some of you know her as Callie, is headed off to her senior year of college and up in Chicago. And she's going to be living in a, in a university-owned house that houses uh, eight women. It's around the edge of campus there. And, um, and there's a restriction, though, just to, in safety for COVID, they're saying, hey, we can only have one person over at a time. So not one person per, per resident, or just one person total. So just last week, she mentioned that, that on, on a Zoom call, she and her roommates are thinking about uh, throwing in together and buying one of those easy up tents, you know, those kind of, you know, like you might have at a, at a tailgate or something like that, you know, these big tents, and just get a bunch of chairs and still welcoming people over, just not inside their house. I'm sure she hates me saying this example, but that's part of the power of being a parent. So um, I get to say these fun things. But, uh, but to me, there, there's, there's a love, even though it may not be strangers per se, but just even friends, uh, students, uh, fellow classmates, being able to come over, even if they can't come inside, there's creative ways to still show wonderful hospitality. I'm reminded of a, a couple, uh, Tom and Angela, lived out in the, the Denver area. And, and, and this, this could almost be any one of us, right? So, so they lived for 12 years, Tom and Angela lived for 12 years in this fam- their family on a little 11-house cul-de-sac. And, and he, he, it's a Christian family. He, Tom and Angela felt kind of weird because they thought, we don't really know our neighbors that well. We, we don't really, you know, it just seems odd that we're living here. We don't really engage with them. So they made a simple tweak in their lifestyle 
and it had a huge impact. So here's what they did. They realized they spent all their time in their backyard. That's where they kicked the soccer ball, played with the dog, they had a swing set and all that kind of good stuff. They said, what if we did all that, but just we did it in our front yard instead? So they shifted to their front yard and actually they had a great tree there. They actually added a tree swing uh, in their front yard. That's where they hung out through the football, frisbee, hang out with the dog and they quickly noticed something very interesting. People would walk by and they would stop and they would engage in conversation and they'd share pet stories and kids stories and suddenly it became, it became the hub of the, the neighborhood. People loved coming over to Tom and Angela's front yard, not even in their house, just in their front yard. And they quickly then elevated that up to, to having little block parties. So, so think about, even in this time, it might be easy to say, hey, I can't, uh, we can't have people over as much as we'd like, or you want to respect people who might have a pre-existing condition or something. We can still be incredibly hospitable to our neighbors, to strangers, to, to anyone. So, so something to keep in mind. So I love this quote, by the way. A, there's a woman, I don't know if she's a Christian or not, but Karen Geisiker, she's an infectious, infectious disease uh, epidemiologist. And here's what she said, which is kind of cool. Right now, meaning in the time of COVID, we don't need churches to create a bunch of new programs. What we need is for the people who attend those churches to simply be good neighbors and do it in a careful and thoughtful manner. So again, I thought, it's, yeah, we, maybe we can't gather. You know, we weren't able to have VBS this summer. We weren't able to do a lot of things, but, but what can we do with what we have? And what, how can that attitude that we have drive us to, to, in response to God's grace to be more hospitable and welcoming to those strangers, just the people we don't know. So that is the attitude. Let's now talk about the blessings. Now, some of them are pretty simple, some of them are a little more subtle, but think about just the blessings of getting to know your neighbors. I mean, we were not designed as human beings to live in isolation. And there's, for a lot of people, they are living in isolation. A lot of people are living on their own, living by themselves, uh, variety of age spectrums, etc. cetera. We, we need to find ways to, 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 to connect with them. So blessings are simply getting to know people. Instead of just kind of awkwardly waving to a neighbor, it'd be cool if you knew their name, uh, knew a little something about them and vice versa. Uh, you have a chance to, to, to gather together. Uh, there's, there's joy in community. In fact, um, I saw a recent study uh, sponsored by University of Michigan that said that as, as you have more of an outward focus and, and you're more people-oriented, um, it can guard against depression. Now, it doesn't, it's, it's not an elixir, and I know depression is a very serious thing, but, but as we have this outward orientation, as God's talking about, in fact, I love it right here in, in Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. We are no longer, okay, we as Christians, we are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. So, so as you think about that and, and the blessings, the, the other huge blessing is certainly it is the first step in, in sharing the gospel, it's, it's hard to, to win over people uh, if they're strangers. You, you have to, there's a progression you have to go through. People will, people will first notice your actions before they even know anything about you. Then they might listen to your words, but then as they learn more, they'll, they'll discover your motivations and it takes all that before you can actually, before someone will, will, will come to a saving faith in Christ. So as you, uh, as hobbies, you flash up the, um, the, uh, the progression there for uh, getting to know people. You start with anyone, if you don't know them, they're a stranger. I mean, so, so anyone, even a neighbor, you might have been across them for 20 years, but if you don't know them, they're officially a stranger. But then you take that first step and they become an acquaintance. And you get to know maybe some basic information about them. Uh, their name, maybe it's where they work, that kind of stuff. Then you get to know even deeper motivations about how they live their life. Then they become hopefully a friend. And as, as you share more and they share more, you get a chance, maybe you can share even periods of loss and, and periods of, of difficulty in your life. And you can, you can bond even that way. And then eventually they can hopefully become a brother or sister in the Lord. 
Now, if you think about it, you can't, you can't skip steps. You can't, you can't go from stranger to, to believer out of nowhere. You got to have those, those middle parts kind of lined up and, 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 and dialed in. So, um, so I think about this as, as we uh, wrap up just this section on blessings. I, I had a conversation with my sister-in-law just, gosh, even a couple weeks ago. She said, Steve, it's, it's amazing how, for the most part, COVID's been tough. It's been tough on everybody. But so there's been some surprising blessings in our neighborhood. And so here's how this went. Uh, and I'll tell you up front, um, my, my brother and sister-in-law had lived in, in this Brentwood neighborhood for, for 20 years. And they'd say, we were friendly with our neighbors. They knew some better than others, but not that many people knew each other. It just was kind of a, a lot of individual people just kind of coming in. You drive to your garage and park and you don't see them. So then they decided one, one afternoon, they said, they did have one really good friend, a set of friends that were right across the street. So here's the street and here are their two driveways, all right? And so then here's my brother and sister-in-law and then here are their neighbors. They said, let's just get together for a Friday afternoon, a Friday afternoon happy hour. So they got some, some chairs, uh, cold beverage, hung out, and they, just, they, they were probably 15, 20 feet apart, and they had a nice little conversation on a lovely evening. Then the next week, another family joined, and then another family, another family, and they quickly noticed within a couple of weeks, they consistently had 19 people, socially distanced, 19 people around the, the intersection of those two driveways. And so they called themselves, they decided to call themselves the COVID-19 which I was kind of clever. And uh, which is kind of, in fact, they even made, um, they even made T-shirts um, they made t-shirts that basically said, love thy neighbor six feet apart. So, I mean, this, so here they have, so they got t-shirts that actually have scripture on them, you know, love thy neighbor six feet apart. And they said, Steve, the, the conversations are amazing. Sometimes they're just ho-hum or about cardinals or sports or whatever, but other times they, we get pretty deep. And she said, probably the, the coolest blessing was we realized there were six different families that were kind of gathered together around the the, the, the group there. I don't know if Javi, do you have, do you have the picture of the, of the t-shirt there just for fun, just to show the gang? Uh, there we go. Yeah, that's their t-shirt. Isn't kind of funny? So, so love your neighbor six feet away. I, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. And so they said, oh, the six families, they realized something as they, as they got to know each other better. Three of those six families have special needs children that they didn't know about beforehand. Now, that's goosebump kind of stuff. That's like, that wouldn't have happened had they not just even taken the step to to think about welcoming and, and being friendly with, with each other. And, and my, 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 my sister-in-law, Jennifer, will tell you, she is a, an introvert of the highest order. She's like, Steve, I, give me a book and, and a silent room. For, I, I could be there for hours. I mean, she's not driven to want to hang out with people that way. But she said, I have been so blessed. I have been so sanctified. Um, I, God is doing some cool stuff in me and through us just by this little gathering, this little Friday afternoon COVID-19 group that we have. So again, Simple tweaks, simple changes. It starts with, with the attitude of wanting to relentlessly pursue the love of the stranger. But then what are some of the, the blessings that we can enjoy and appreciate? Not with radical crazy changes, just simply some, some basic adjustments in what you're already doing to, to show and express God's love. So that's the blessing. So this, this is the first part of my 10-part series this morning. No, I'm kidding. Um, so, so as we move into our, uh, the, the last part here, we're talking about the cost. What does it cost us to, um, to offer hospitality. And you think about the Good Samaritan. Okay, the Good Samaritan, uh, it cost him very, very obviously, it cost him time and it cost him money. And maybe a little bit of reputation by having people say, oh, you're hanging out with that, the enemy of yours. What are you doing there? But, but he took time out of his schedule. He must have had some margin built in somehow. He had, he had margin with, with the money to actually give to be able to give uh, the, the innkeeper or whatever it was, the, the person, hey, if, after I come back, there's more medical bills, whatever, just put it on my tab, I will cover it. 
So for us to be, for us to be hospitable, it, it, it does cost. It, it doesn't just come willy-nilly. It's going to have to be a little bit of a cost. And I, I saw an article recently in The Atlantic, uh, which basically had the headline of something on the lines of, um, being busy is the new status symbol. Be, busyness is the new status. Oh, I'm so busy. I'm so wanted. I'm so in demand. I, you know, I, we're a family on the go. And there's nothing wrong with, being, with having a lot of cool activities. But, but the question for us to ask ourselves is, and I think this is where you know, kind of COVID is this kind of wake-up call, because a lot of things got canceled that we couldn't do otherwise. I think it's actually smart for us. As we go back and we, and we, we, we re-enter society as much as we can, I think it's fair to say through, through prayer and, and, and just, just being open for the Lord, what about making every activity you used to do, make it audition to be a part of your life. Make that activity be, be God-honoring, God-worthy. Now, I want to be clear, I'm not saying any individual activity is bad in of itself, but you can have a bunch of really good activities add up to way too much and overload and stress, et cetera, and you kind of go bonkers. So, so it's going to take some discipline. It's, it's going to take you saying, hey, do we really have to do X? Or do we have to be on that particular team or part of that particular group? No judgment here. Don't hear what I'm not saying. That's what my brother Anthony Luster says all the time. I, I want to be clear, but I am saying this, that, that if, if you asked your boss, if you asked your boss, hey boss, what's, I have a lot of stuff I'm supposed to do, but, but what's the most important thing I should do? What's the one, if you had to boil it down, what's the one thing? And be, Jesus basically says the most important thing, if we boil it down, is to love God and to love your neighbor. Like, that's the most important thing. But if that's the most important thing, are we now living intentional lives that allow us to do at least that second part? Are, are, we, are we living lives that give us the space and the time, the ability to, to, to love our neighbor? To, to if we, again, I think one of the downsides of, of our interpretation, not that the parable itself is unbelievable, but the downside of our interpretation of, of the Good Samaritan is, oh, hey, you know what? If I, see a, if I see an injured, beaten up enemy of mine in the street, I promise I'll take care of him. I, I, will, I will help that person out. But then we don't think about, okay, if that's, that doesn't get you off the hook of then just being kind to the person in line at, at Schnucks or being friendly to, the, to what might be called the, the odd neighbor who no one talks to or, or the person who seems different. You know, so so are, we, are we doing that kind of stuff? In fact, I, there's a great quote from, uh, from this book. In fact, I highly recommend it. Uh, the Art of Neighboring by a couple of pastors out of, out of Denver. And, and there's a great quote in there that uh, basically says this. The journey begins when we choose a lifestyle of conversation and community over a lifestyle of business and accumulation. So are we choosing conversation and community and honoring and loving our neighbor? Or are we choosing a lifestyle of accumulation and busyness? Um, and even when we get to come back here to, to church, you know, it's, it's easy for us to, again, think how sometimes we simply abdicate our responsibility to be welcoming. And you think about Jen Allen and, and the welcome team and all the fantastic volunteers who make this place a very welcoming and beautiful place. But also, that doesn't, that doesn't take us off the hook. I mean, I, I think all the time there's, there's friends I love to see on a Sunday morning, I'm sure you do too, but maybe you need to give up some of that fellowship time with them to hang out with them or at least talk to the person in the corner by themselves. Or you, you see the, the attendance registry pass by and you see someone write down, hey, first time visitor. It's basically saying, would you please come talk to me? I mean, I, I don't want to come and, and just be a, a, just come and go and not be engaged with anybody. I think the most welcoming church I ever went to was, gosh, almost, almost 20, 30 years ago, I went to a church in Atlanta and I just have to tell I was on a business trip. And from the time I got out of my car, to the time I sat in my pew, I was greeted by at least 15 people. And, and it wasn't, 
And it wasn't they were all on the welcome team. I mean, they were, yeah, some of them were fish. You could tell they were kind of greeter usher types. But there were other people, hey, hey, how you doing? Good morning. Good to see you, brother. Just like, I, I, I felt incredibly welcome. I'd never been there before. So we can do the exact same thing. As I wrap up here, I want to mention a name that some of you of a certain age might remember this name. Madeline Murray O'Hare. Madeline Murray O'Hare from... Um, was a, 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 a well-known American activist. She, she was a staunch atheist. She, was, uh, she, she just wanted to get any, any speck of religion out of the public square, out of schools. Uh, one of her big things as she, before she passed away was she wanted to get the words in God we trust off of our, off of our currency. And I'll tell you what, uh, and I say this with, with, um, with, with a certain amount of shame, when I first heard about her, I was probably in college, and I remember thinking, who does she think she is? What, what, what do you care? I mean, I just, I got really mad at her. I, I didn't, for not one ounce, for not one second, I think she is an image bearer of God, that she was wonderfully and, and beautifully made. She, she was, that God knew every hair on, the, on her head. I didn't think any of that. So I, so I just was like, ah, you know, this activist, who she thinks she is, and, and atheist, just, just go your own way. I was, I was really mad, almost like the way I'm sure Christians probably felt about Paul before he turned around. But where the story kind of turns is um, after she passed away, after she had some back taxes she owed, just that's part of the story, and they were selling off her, her items. And one of the items they sold off was, was one of her diaries. And in this diary, no less than six times did she write something along these lines. Somebody, somewhere, love me. Would somebody love me? Would somebody somewhere show me love? Would someone be loving to me? And you hear about that, you're like, oh my gosh. I, again, I, I didn't. I mean, I never, I never ran into her. But I bet if I did, I, if I went to a rally, I'd, be, I'd probably be yelling at her, which, which is horrific. You know, not thinking, you know, certainly we can have difference of opinion, but, but to lovingly welcome her and even show her love. I think, who knows? I don't know if she ever even went to a church or if she ever had any kind of encounter with Christians, but, but did any of them show her love? So you think about the cost I mean, I'm talking things like it's going to cost us to be neighborly. To, it, might, it might cost us money. It might cost us some time. It might cost us whatever, our, our comfort, our privacy. What are these idols that we have set up? But think about what it costs God. For him to be hospitable to us, it cost him his son. It cost him all the way to the cross for him to show us the ultimate hospitality. When we were strangers, when we were sinners, when we were basically just like Madeline Murray O'Hare, when we were basically flipping him the bird and, and I would not want nothing to do with you, he said, I still love you. I still am passionate about you I, I, so much that I will, I will die for you. And he did die for us. So if you haven't accepted his hospitality, let that be today. Accept the hospitality that God offers you, the forgiveness of your sins, and the welcoming into his household to be a citizen of the Most High, to be, to be an heir where he is preparing mansions, he's preparing rooms for us, he's preparing the ultimate hospitality when, when we die to go be with him forever. Or if you have accepted him already, ask yourself this tough question. What do you need to give up? What do you need to sacrifice in your life so you can be more hospitable to others, so you can be more loving, that you have that space to be able to, to be kind to those strangers? So I think about, uh, just to wrap up here, you know, I think, imagine, my friends, the idea if we could take the idea of loving our neighbor from this kind of big, kind of nebulous thing, we should, it's a thing we should do, a bumper sticker, and if we brought it down to this idea of, of loving people deeply, intimately, 
with, with, with the idea of showing up and not showing off and being just totally focused on them, not because we want to have ourselves be praised, but out of response to how good God has been to us. If we would go from that, that big general concept to specific day in, day out, simply just loving and responding and being kind to strangers and welcoming them and loving them, and then watch what God does, I think it would be amazing. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we uh, are so humbled to think about what you did for us on the cross. We are humbled to think about how much you loved us, how much you know everything about us, and yet you still came and, and, and you took the penalty for our sins so we could be reunited with you, so we could be welcomed into your household. Father, thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Lord, thank you for, um, for the joy that we get in following you. Thank you even for the people who are in our lives. Thank you even for the difficult people in our lives, Lord. Thank you for the strangers that come across our, our way. Lord, I pray that we would leave today enthused and we would leave, um, we would leave energized and, and excited uh, to live in response to you and show true love for our neighbors so that people would think and know, gosh, Green Tree is one of the most welcoming places around, not for our own sake, but for your sake and for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.